Hey there, and welcome to the Lead Bold Podcast, a place where we engage in inspiring conversations with leaders in ministry and ministry partnerships. These discussions allow for us to learn more about different leaders and their experiences as we navigate questions about their call to ministry, the challenges they have faced, things they wish they knew or would share with others, and so, so much more about what it means to live into their calling. This community is truly a place to find those who get you, and we hope that what you hear encourages you and gives you takeaways for your own journey. Here's a little bit about our guest today. Our guest today is Susie Gomez. Susie is Canadian by birth, Korean by heritage, Mexican by marriage, and American by immigration. She longs to make the reconciling love of Jesus come alive through scripture and is known for speaking on God's love for those on the margins, speaking on his heart for justice and the joys and complexities of cross-cultural dynamics. Susie and her husband Marcos met at Fuller Theological Seminary while getting their MA in Intercultural Studies and now have four beautiful Latin-Asian children. After serving as a youth pastor and church planter in South Central LA for 14 years, Susie continues to teach and preach around the country and serves as the teaching information pastor at Midtown Covenant Church in Sacramento, California. Hey everybody, now that we are back from taking a little bit of a break from our podcast, we are mixing things up. In today's episode, Aaron and I have a conversation with Susie Gomez, who is one of the co-lead pastors over at Midtown Church in Sacramento. And we're sharing stories and hearing a little bit of her story and then connecting it, of course, to our stories. So we'll get to hear a little bit about her background and how she ultimately felt called to ministry. She'll share some of the challenges that she's faced. And then one of my favorite questions, because it relates to all of us, is how her personal life with God, her personal relationship with God has been impacted for good or for bad because of being a woman who's in ministry. So we can't wait to share our new friend, Susie Gomez, with all of you. Well, hey, Lead Bold, we are happy to be back with you. Um, I'm Andrea Coley, and I'm here with Aaron Seth Handley. I'm still getting used to saying your new last name, so I will put the middle name in, even though that's your maiden name. Oh. Hello. You know what? Honestly, like shame on me. I don't know how many of you have done it. People give kits that like help you do it quickly. There are still things I have not changed. So I'm still Aaron Seth in some in some environments. So I'm cool with it. I'm I'm dying for it. That sounds good. Uh, well, we are so glad to be back after a little bit of a break, and we are kicking off our new kind of series. I would say because we're changing up our questions. More on that later. Um, with our guest, Susie Gomez. Hello. Hi. Wait, now I feel like I said it wrong again. <laughs> Susie Gomez. Gomez. Susie Gomez. Gomez. <laughs> you guys, she literally just helped me know how to say that right, and I said it wrong. Um, but she is a co-lead pastor. There's three of you. We should talk about that. Three co-pastors um, leading out Midtown Church in Sacramento. Um, welcome, Susie. Thank you for having me. And congrats, Erin. I didn't realize that you just got married. <sighs> Thank you. My, I was going to say, I'm re- looking at the calendar here, and my one-year anniversary is, is swiftly approaching. Andrea was my officiant. It was a, a joyous day. Wow, yeah, wow, wow. It was good, good, good stuff. Um, we have a unique situation today because, as our listeners know, we're usually kind of all in our different spots recording online, but it just so happens that I am up in the Sacramento area today visiting some of our Lead Bold community, and so Susie and I are sitting in the same room right next to each other, but looking at each other on a screen, yeah, which is funny. Not, yeah, it's not awkward It's at not all. awkward yeah. at all. <laughs> I'm jealous. I'm yeah. jealous. Yes. 
so it's a it's a fun fun thing to get to be so let's jump in um i'm excited for our lead bold community to get to know you susie for a number of reasons not the least of which is that susie um is one of our keynote speakers for our conference this year so the um just another way to kind of get to know her a little bit but you are a little bit new to Northern California. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about this transition that, that you have been in settling in here in the Sacramento area. Yeah, we actually just celebrated our one year anniversary having moved here on July 1st. So we got here Congrats. in the weekend. Nice. Um, it was they nice. did a whole celebration for they her. They did fireworks. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> um, but we actually, you know, it's funny because we moved from Long Beach to Sacramento where uh, if you've ever been to Sacramento in the summertime, people would be like, oh, wow, it's quite a difference in weather. And so the first couple of weeks that we were here, it was actually nice and breezy. We had like a, what they call the Delta winds. It tricked you. It That's totally what happened. tricked us. You were because, like, this isn't that bad. Because <laughs> like a few weeks later, it, it, it reached the hottest day on record in Sacramento. Um, oh, so wow. 16 degrees no. within the first month of moving there. <gasps> oh my and gosh, that's brutal. Was, been, I mean, anybody in California, like even Southern California, had wild weather this this winter as well. So we had these all these winter storms and like trees were falling down, power outages were happening. So we had a wild first year. But we love the people. We love we love Midtown Church. We love the people here. Um, and we've just you know we've kind of had like that. I don't, for lack of a better word, it's, I felt, I feel like we got hazed <laughs> in the first year, <laughs> weather-wise. <laughs> we're just, we're getting deeper. Nice. Well, yeah, that's, that's good to be able to survive some of that crazy stuff. And having, this is my first time coming to Midtown Church and even just having been here for a couple of hours today, super welcoming, amazing ministry that you guys have here. And I can only imagine that you being added to the team has just strengthened and broadened kind of the reach and the ministry, um, which actually transitions well to our first question. And this is kind of just for us to get to know you a little bit, for our listeners to hear a little bit about you, and I'm sure resonate some with kind of your journey. But can you tell us a little bit about your calling to ministry and how did you know that this was your calling? And that can be to hear, or that can just be sort of longer term, however you want to talk about right. that. It's funny because I went out for coffee with a friend yesterday from church and she asked me this similar question. How did you end up here? What would you know? How, when did you know you were called? Tell me your story. So we sat for like a couple of hours and it, it because we had some of our kids with us too, you know how, how that goes where you get interrupted. So, you know, uh, a 15 minute conversation turns into a, a 45 minute one because you keep getting interrupted. Um, I won't give you that version. I'll give you, I'll try to give it to you in like two minutes. Okay. So I feel like I got practice. So the cliff note version of it, I feel like actually from an early age, if I look back on my childhood, I think from a pretty early age, I had a sense of calling to ministry. So when I envisioned my future, um, I, I did study communications in college thinking that I might do journalism. So I had this idea of like, you know, when we talk about representation matters, for me as a young Asian girl growing up in Canada, we got a lot of the US stations, but the only women that I saw on TV that looked like me where people were news anchors. So like Connie Chung comes to right. mind, right? So in my wow. mind, I think that is part of the reason why I, I wanted to aspire to be a journalist because that's what I saw on TV. My brother, his childhood hero was Bruce Lee. 
and my brother actually owns martial arts academies. Wow. So it really wow. is what we see, there, right? For sure. That's a whole other podcast. It what, is. what we see. Right. And I got used to that in some ways. It right, like. right. And and so like I, I studied communications. I loved I loved delivering a message. And so I think that that was sort of God, you know, intricately weaving in. Here's something that I'm going to make you aware of that you are passionate about. And along the way, I'm going to give you the encouragement to know that this is something that I'm calling you to, that I've gifted you for, and I want you to steward it. So that's that's the long and short of it. But I think from an early um, an early age, I had a sense of calling to ministry because when I projected into the future, I always saw myself in ministry. So it, as an adult, maybe because I saw my mother, my, my parents owned a grocery store. So they were the Korean grocery mm. stores, right? But my mother was a strong woman of faith. Um, my father came to faith later on, but, um, but I think, so again, I, I don't want to go too long, but I, I did this hilarious thing when I was 16 years old, I basically gave myself a 10 year plan that was going to kind of map out. <laughs> was gonna look like. So I grew up going to church. They said that back in the day, probably about 85% of the Korean immigrant community found themselves at church, even if they had no Christian background. This is because mm. that's where the Korean immigrant yeah, population Yeah, they were looking for it. connection and right. community. Okay. So yeah. having grown up in that, um, I, I, so I knew all the church stuff. I was a good Sunday school going, church camp going girl. But at around 16, um, I kind of, I don't know where it really came from. I didn't have like a strong rebellious nature in me. And I think part of it actually came from hearing so many testimonies of people who were like, oh, I was like this before, then I had this radical conversion, and now I'm like this. Mm. <laughs> So in my mind, I was kind of like, well, I've never really experienced the world. I've never, I've never really been a bad kid or whatever. And so at 16, I was like, I'm going to start like going to parties. I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to do, you know, with boundaries, with boundaries. Right. But uh, in Canada, the legal drinking age is 19. So you got girls who are 19 mm. clubs. And so for as a 16 year old girl, it was a little easier to pass as a 19 year old girl. I got my first fake idea at 16, started wow. going to clubs. Simultaneously, my, my dad had come to Christ. My mom had been praying for him for years. Um, and they, they go off and become missionaries. So in my senior year of college, <laughs> my parents start sort of going on short-term missions with the plan to go long-term after I was off to college. But in my senior year of college, uh, my senior year of uh, high school, I had a lot of freedoms. I had a grandmother who would kind of check in on us, but it was basically me and my brother would be at home. I have an older brother for a couple months at a time with parents that were just trusting that we oh were like gosh. getting, you know, going to school, right. getting it done. He's doing martial arts in the corner. Right. And out yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> but all the meanwhile, still getting good enough grades to get into college. So right. they thought that I'm getting it done. I'm yeah. being a good girl. Um, but yeah, totally living this double life. But my plan was basically for, um, from that time when I was 16 to about my second year of college, like this end of my second year of college, um, I was going to live it up a little, party a little bit. And then by the third year, I was going to get my stuff together. I was going to join the <laughs> club. I, I really had to plan out. Um, I was going to meet my future husband. He was going to have a heart for ministry too. We were going to date for two years wow. after college, graduate, um, get married, go to seminary together, and then like just live, you know, like we're going to, pastor together and like I don't know I didn't think that part through but yeah. it's just kind of like I was going to give my life to like really give my life to Jesus after I'd like lived it up a little Got bit it. and let me guess it all went perfectly as planned as <laughs> I mean that's what happened so that's how I ended up here no 
So actually, again, long story short, actually at the end of my freshman year of college, I was I, I, I was I was already failing out of college after my first semester. So my GPA was ridiculously low. Um, I was starting to get scared because it was going to blow my cover. You know, I, <laughs> I, I was going to get kicked out of college. And my parents were going to be like, what the, heck, what the heck is happening? So I got scared enough to start like, you know, like taking some inventory. But I had a friend who did have this sort of radical conversion. He was in in the hospital recovering from a, a drug overdose for like the whole summer and then came back and gave this powerful testimony and really just kind of challenged me to like take inventory of my life and so again i won't go into that whole story but at the end of my freshman year beginning of my second year of college um, i really that's when i think jesus became lord in my life so again grew up in church knew a lot about jesus but really started a relationship with jesus in my second year um, and then god just really kind of like I think he cultivated a lot of um, a lot of giftings that I thought. Again, I wanted to be a journalist. I knew that I loved to write. I loved to speak. Um, and God started steward, like having me go in the direction of using that in ministry. And so I was um, teaching Sunday school. I was volunteering with the youth ministry, and then straight out of college. So in my last year, I went to Urbana, which is big missions conference that university puts on came across a ministry called world impact. They were in South central LA, different urban cities across America. I always had a sense that I wanted to move to LA. So when I checked out that ministry, I was sold. And so, um, straight out of college, ended up joining this missions organization. It was a church planting organization. I started doing youth and young adult ministry. And so for 14, so the story goes, there was the guy who was doing the youth ministry. Um, his mom got sick and he had to go back to take care of his mom. So he asked me, hey, would you fill in for a little bit? Yeah. Fill in for a little bit turned into 10 years, 10, 10 plus years of doing youth wow. ministry. It always does, right? It always does. Hey, can you help out with this? And then it becomes your whole job. Yep. <laughs> yes. So then, yeah, Friday nights ministering to youth in South Central LA, a small youth group of like 20 to 30 kids was where I really was like, became passionate about teaching the Bible and contextualizing it, like making it like, okay, so how is a kid who doesn't have any church background, 14 year old kid who came with all his siblings, how are we going to keep them engaged with what the word is saying? And so I did that for so many years that I didn't realize that that's really the ground where God was kind of cultivating a gift in me. Mm -hmm. um, wow. And then, yeah, started getting invited to speak at certain things. And as, as the invitations kept coming, I just was like, oh, well, maybe this is something that I can do. Maybe this is something that God wants me to do. Um, again, I promised that this story was not going to go long. And now I'm like, <laughs> um, I, the, the part that I'll end on is this. Um, when I was pregnant, so after I had three kids, I had three kids and um, I was getting less and less involved with ministry just because mm -hmm. I was at home and I had them back to back. Mm -hmm. My husband and I were, in fact, doing ministry together. It didn't happen according to the timeline that I had thought. But we did start dating when we were both in seminary. Okay. Um, and then he was from Chicago, ended up joining the missions organization that I was already part of. But because I was having the babies, he was doing more of the upfront ministry. And I was doing more stuff at home. Um, always had kids over at our house and everything. So home was really where a lot of the ministry happened. But... After baby number three, a friend of mine who co-pastors a church with her husband asked me to come speak at her women's ministry. Um, mm. I spoke and I realized that I really missed it. Yeah. And she really was just like, oh, you killed it. Like, I would love to have you back on a Sunday to come preach on a Sunday. And I remember the conversation on my way home went something like this. Like, 
God, if I'm allowed to say this, like I actually really miss this. And even mm. if just like maybe once a quarter, if I could get an invitation like this to kind of scratch that itch, that would be really fun for me. Um, so I went home and told my husband about that. And then he was like, yeah, you know, like I would love for you to, you have a gifting. And my husband's always been such a great like cheerleader. I joke that he was like an agent for me, like the guy selling my mixtapes. <laughs> send my Man. YouTube clips to, to friends and stuff. You need to have, have her come speak and whatnot. But, um, so, so I was in that season where I was really like, wow, well, maybe I could actually explore the idea of like working part-time at a church or something. And so as I was starting to get excited about that, um, I got pregnant with baby number four. Uh, and so that to me felt like, okay, God, are you trying to tell me, no, you need to stay uh, at home, stay at home mom. I want, this is not the season for you to do that. Don't like, don't get, it almost felt like a don't get too big for your britches kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't know yet. Yeah. That was not from the Lord, but sure. like, obviously, right? Um, but the way that we do that to ourselves or the way that the enemy will do that to us, right? So I actually felt, and I hate to say this because it sounds terrible, um, but like I, I I was dealing with a lot of disappointment in my fourth pregnancy at the beginning of it because mm -hmm. I just, it wasn't planned, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then it really felt like a surrendering of something that I, I like gave myself the audacity to get excited about. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a friend who at the time was selling, I won't name the brand, but she was selling like skincare. Okay. And it was sort of like multi-level marketing. Okay. Right? She's like, oh, Susie, you'd be really good at it. So very reluctantly, because this was, we had a mortgage, we had another baby on the way. I was like, I got to do something yeah. to have some income in. So I send my friend an email and I tell her, hey, just send me the info. I'll, I'll go ahead and give it a try. As soon as I press send, actually Albert Tate, our, our friend Albert Tate, mm -hmm. um, messages me he texts me and he says hey i need you to come speak for our summer speaker series so this was actually the first time that i spoke at fellowship so okay. i spoke a second time yes. but susie and i were talking earlier before this about how the way i got connected with her is that she spoke at the church down in southern california fellowship monrovia that my daughter attends so that's what yeah. she's referencing right here. okay so that was your so he first asked you to come right at that pivotal point so that was about your, eight years ago in your journey yeah oh no no not eight years ago it's about six years ago okay so he texts me right after i got pregnant nobody knew i was pregnant right after i had sort of felt defeated and i was like okay i gotta sell skincare now and not preach um so he texted <laughs> felt like it felt like god was saying to me are you done thinking that you know what the next steps are, are you done thinking that you're like mm. whatever oh, right that's a mic drop moment right <laughs> so that i'll always remember that moment and so from there it was kind of like okay well let's just see what god does and then so yeah i mean albert kicked it off with the sending that text but i was getting invitations from different random people who you yes. know maybe their daughter heard me speak so right, hey, right, hey would right. you like to come speak and so that was kind of the journey that that was part of the journey of god really kind of assuring me hey, you know, like I know it doesn't look like how you planned when you were 16, yes. but I have something good in store. And then again, fast forward quickly, um, I, I'd been doing a lot of speaking at different places. Ephraim Smith, who's co-lead pastor here, I'd known him years ago, saw on social media that I was, um, I had left the position at my church and uh, he said, hey, we'd love for you to come guest preach at our, our church. And I, I was telling you a little while ago about how he jokingly said in our very first conversation, hey, we want you to come guest preach, but really the plan is for you to come and check out our church, fall in love with it, decide you want to come back like once a month. 
for a while, but you're gonna love it so much that you and your family are gonna decide to move to Sacramento. You're gonna take a full-time job with us here at Midtown Sacramento. And then one day you're gonna be co-lead pastor with us. And that all happened within less than two years. So here we are. So in other words, Ephraim also had a plan. Right. And then you were part of his plan. I okay. That's amazing. Thank you for telling all that. I know you were joking about how it was going to be short and it wasn't short, right. but what I love is all those <laughs> twists and turns are, I'm hearing other people's stories too in your story. You know, we talk to yeah. women leaders all the time and whether it's from, you know, kind of coming from this background where you thought it was going to go one way, but in your case, having a planned rebellion right. or those who just have a background that is, that feels like it disqualifies them. Right. Disqualifies mm. her from leading. And then even to the part of, you know, these moments that we come to sort of these marker moments where we kind of do finally surrender and we think the surrender is going to be selling skincare or whatever to anybody out there that sells skincare. <laughs> we're not trying to throw shade. No, not we're at just all. in your story though. That was a, okay, I'm going to resign myself to this right. as women. Obviously, you know, we have all these constructs of the categories we're supposed to right. be in. Um, so yeah. one of that and having another baby, another right. category, um, how gracious that God comes in right then and kind of says, not so fast. Right. Just, will you let me, Susie, right. will you just mm -hmm. let me? Are you done? Yeah. yeah. How was, um, so I just say that to say, I think it so resonates. Uh, it's part of why we love to share stories with each other through yeah. the world is because we all have all these different stories and yet they align in so many ways. Um, yeah. As you look back on that, um, you know, do you have other thoughts about just kind of, I mean, it is your story and that's what exactly got you here. Um, but I think you, I'm sure learned some things along the way about God, about you. And can you talk about those just real quick? That wasn't a planned question, but yeah. we still have our other questions to get to, but yeah. What did, what did you learn about God and you in some of these twists and turns? Um, I mean, I think we already kind of named the biggest thing where it was like, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but you know, the Lord's purpose prevails. I actually used to have that proverb on my wall on a sticky note. <laughs> and it's just kind of like God has again and again just been like, okay, I know you have your plans and it's not bad to plan for things, but allow me room to really be to be God. Um, and you know, when you when you do submit your plans, like there there is just I've had to learn over and over again. Um this may not be the way that I envisioned it, but there is something good around the corner. There is something like we have a good God that holds us with his righteous right hand and just really knows. Um, I know that people will argue, oh, well, that verse in Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, I know the purposes I have. Yeah. God was specifically speaking to Jeremiah and we tried, you know, but, yeah. but really though, this is the creator of the universe who does know us intimately, that does, that did knit us together in our mother's womb, who knows every thought that we think, right? And so there's just this, this beautiful intimacy that has been cultivated over the years where I just know, you know, from the time that I was young and things that, you know, experienced as a, a younger kid and saw, you know, in my family, God has really, God is in the details and God, you know, is not, our prayers don't fall on deaf ears. Um, Prayers might not get answered when we think they should be, um, but God is just like, God has a sense of humor, but God is also just like a beautiful storyteller and just mm -hmm. can write a much more beautiful story than we can. Yeah. 
that's really good. Yeah. I was going to say you touched on something that I thought was like so profound in the sense of like that conversation you're having in your car where you're like, God, I miss, I miss this. Like, I don't, I don't want to let this go. Like there's something about this that I just is drawing my heart. And I think for a lot of time when women are in ministry, there's this strange dichotomy of either like it is a gift for you, but it's for other people, or it's like a burden that you have to bear versus like the truth of like, when you are in your calling and doing what God's asking you to do, the like gift and the gift that it is to you as an individual to live into the, the gifting, right, is is something powerful. And I think as women, we get scared to ask for too much, right? Like we're often like, Lord, maybe this is too much. Can I be a mom? Can I do this? Can I also do this thing that like brings me such a depth of joy in you? And I love that sentiment that like the Lord was gracious to like that you felt confident to say like, Lord, I'm not, I'm not ready to let go yet. Like, and, and have that really human moment. Cause I do think that sometimes the women in our community, like, like you said, it doesn't always look the way you might've thought it looked either. Like sometimes those doors open in a different way or they're with a different group or in a different place in a different weather pattern uh, than we would expect. And I think that that's a really beautiful sentiment that for women, it isn't that we don't have to be afraid to, of the ask of the call to alert to the Lord to say, like, I feel this stirring in me, like help me find the Avenue for it. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes there's something strange. There's some strange, weird, like I, I, the only word I can think of is like guilt of like wanting too much or like wanting something more as a woman. And I think it's really powerful that you felt the confidence to say like, I'm not, I'm not quite ready to let go yet, Lord. And I don't know what it will look like, but like, I still want this, which is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've hit on something so important there. Uh, I think that's a great insight, Erin, this this idea of naming our desires and kind of laying them before God and and knowing that we can hold them still in an unattached way, you know, to be able to say, this is my desire, I do love this, and still to hold, hold it open-handed right. and, and then just see what God does with that is really beautiful. Um, for those listening right now, you may be in a season of ministry or a season of life that feels like it's not quite where you want, or you can kind of see that growth and yet it's not happening fast enough for you. And so just an encouragement mm-hmm. to name that desire and also to hold it loosely. Um, you know, yeah. don't be, you know, have a healthy unattachment to, to that outcome because we yeah. are writing our stories with God. Right. And, and, yeah. and, to watch and see where it goes. So that's good. Um, kind of getting to our next question, but it flows in with this. As you think about your ministry journey, um, can you identify maybe a specific challenge that you had, um, uh, whether as a woman, as, as a pastor, as a woman of color, whatever that is, um, that you had in ministry or you still have, what did that look like to encounter that and how did you overcome it? Did you, are you still struggling with it? Can you talk about that a little bit? Cause as women, as you know, whatever our setting, there's roadblocks, yeah. you know, and challenges. So yeah. let's talk about that a little. It's interesting. Cause I feel like I'm more, I, I was much more aware of my struggles and my challenges whenever I, I, it was in retrospect. So I know that like, especially early in my ministry years. So I went into full-time ministry at 22. So straight out of college, the first thing that I did, it was full-time ministry. And I didn't realize a lot of the reasons why I held back or the reasons why I felt inadequate 
were because I was a woman of color. Like, I, I know that sounds really naive. Like it was always evident, but it wasn't, I don't think I understood the weight of that until years later. So um, I always kind of, any space that I entered into, it was always like, well, of course, I'm young, I'm female, I'm Asian, I'm not from here, I'm here as a learner. That actually was a huge asset to me because I never walked into a room with the sense like, oh, I'm the smartest or most spiritual or more like most socially powerful or important person in here. And I think especially living in a marginalized community, um, it actually was very much more an equal, I, I think I was even perceived differently than a lot of the other missionaries who were like white, Midwesterners who came and like stuck out like a sore thumb in the neighborhood that we were in. I obviously stuck out there too, but there was, I was sort of received differently because it was like, oh, there was sort of a shared, you're not, you're not like a white person from Idaho, but you're not, I don't know what box to put you in, you know? <laughs> it kind of gave me access in ways that some of, maybe some of my roommates didn't. Um, at my age kind of helped too, especially when I was mm -hmm. working with young people. Um, I went to Fuller for 10 years getting my <laughs> master's because I was taking one class at yep, a time. Yep. Thousands, tens of thousands of dollars later. Um, I really, well, you know, higher education is great for what it is. People have different opinions about it, but I, I will unequivocally always say my greatest education came from just living in the neighborhood and, and, and being amongst the people that we were. You can read about things in a textbook, but there's nothing like living and sitting across a table, you know, with, with wow. people so yeah. uh, I can't even remember what the original Oh, yeah. Was. So just challenges. Oh, just challenges. Like, challenge, yes. Yeah. So it was both. A, I think I can look back and think of it as a gift. But um, so fast forward a couple of years. The first year that I'm in ministry there or the, I mean, the second year that I'm in ministry there. Again, remember, I got tricked into youth ministry. Right. So um, I'm at a summer <laughs> camp and we're at a summer camp, which it was a joint summer camp. And it was um, several different ministries from different cities that would come. Um, and have camp together up at the campsite that our missions organization actually owned, right? So because it was a joint effort, there were also different churches, like suburban churches that would come and volunteer. So they would help self serve food or get, you know, things that we needed. Um, so the, the male pastor that was supposed to come and be our guest speaker caught pneumonia a couple of days before camp. And so they asked me to fill in last minute to speak at the, the first evening session. So, I mean, these are the youth that I'm with every week. So it's no big deal. I'm teaching, you know, it's a, it's, it's a bigger audience, but it's, it's all youth like the youth that I'm always teaching to. And um, so I speak and then I didn't find out again until maybe at least a year later that as a result of me speaking at that camp, some of the volunteers that came from other churches that were a little more conservative or had different theologies about women in ministry um, felt very offended by it. And so there wow. were churches that actually pulled their support from our organization because I spoke that night. Um, and so things like that were revelations that happened later on. I actually wish they would have told me when it happened, but... Why do you um, wish they would have? Just so that, like... I, I almost felt a little bit like, oh, we need to hide Susie from being hurt by that. Like, oh. and, and I think that it was done in love. But at the same time, I was kind of like, I'm big enough to like learn the challenges. I mean, and again, like I think something that was beautiful, but also kind of like, oh, you guys could have told me. Like there were people who learned about these churches having like being, you know, kind of making a fuss about it and like had written them letters and, and, and said like, 
well, thank you for your years of support, but here's, you know, here's why we, you know, like we support Susie in her role as a minister of the gospel, blah, blah, blah. But I'm, I'm just kind of like, oh, you guys could have told me. Like, yeah, I, I'm okay. Like, I could have dealt with it, right? Yeah. Um, but, but little things like that where you find out about it in retrospect or, like, my eyes were opened up to, like, oh, things like that happen. And they've happened to me. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of slowly became a, more aware of it. And so, you know, a, later in my years of ministry, too, there's actually somebody who told me, and I, I don't, I don't want to, like, air out dirty laundry or anything, but I'll just say kind of in more broad terms. I've had people who will say, um, hey, this this place that you're at right now or, you know, the, the people that you're working with, I just want you to know, like, you you can, there's things beyond this. Um, I had somebody tell me, like, this, this ministry setting that you're in is very much an old boys club. So mm-hmm. I see mm-hmm. a lot of leadership and giftings in you that I don't know will ever be actualized or realized if you stay in the setting. Mm-hmm. So graciously, you know, God provided even voices like that. But yeah, again, becoming more aware of like, oh, that is true. When I came into this setting, I was never looked at, at, at as a pastor. It was always my husband that was assumed to be a pastor. We mm-hmm. were in part, mm-hmm. we were partnering in ministry together. He would get the invitations to speak and I wouldn't. And it was just an assumption. There were just assumptions that I became yeah. more aware of. So mm-hmm. those were some of the challenges that I think um, actually were, were helpful too. Like, you know, like when Paul talks about his thorn, you know, it's the thorn that helps keep him dependent and relying on God. Does he like it? No. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's the thing that has been both, a, I don't, I don't want to say a blessing and a curse, but it's been the thing that's kept him dependent on God. So for me too, it's just like, in some ways, some of these obstacles have been thorns, but they've been really beautiful things to cultivate the faith and the um, help me to live out my calling more faithfully because of it. So. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It, it sounds like the the things that were challenges sometimes weren't very blatant in that you right. either weren't aware of them or you you know it wasn't something till you looked back when you were given the example of you know kind of being in the in the neighborhood and maybe being a little bit more accepted um realizing that there are hidden biases and hidden perspectives and sometimes not so hidden perspectives that could become a roadblock for us and so what i'm hearing you say is that partly because some of them you weren't aware of you were just living into obedience really and maybe Maybe the takeaway is whether we're aware of them or not, we should live in mm-hmm. obedience and know that, you know, those roadblocks aren't always going to be for us to solve. Mm-hmm. They're not always going to be our battle. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm using too many analogies, mm-hmm. but um, no, it's great. But that you're, but, but that you are using your gifts in obedience. And sometimes those roadblocks are not going to be something that have anything to do with us. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The obedience too of like, it's one thing also to kind of be in an individual space. It's, I, I feel really um, humble that you're sharing with us more about also like what it means to be in partnership with your husband in ministry. This idea that like, there's probably so much in there too, where there's this recognition of like, Lord, I believe in what and how you've gifted my husband. I believe in how you've gifted me. I believe that when the right opportunities are there, those will come my way. And when the right opportunities and this group needs to hear from my husband, those will come to him. Right. Like, just a continual thought of that obedient moment that like in an individual space, as well as like being in a partnership um, within ministry too. And what limitations come with that? Or like you said, what assumptions people make us to be like, Oh, it's a husband and wife. Well, the husband will speak and maybe the wife will, maybe the wife will say a prayer at our women's event. Right. Like some of those kind of like more antiquated things do happen. But I do think that there's something to be said about the obedience and in knowing that like, 
entrusting that the call itself to say like, Lord, I know that we're in the right place and doing the right things and that the right opportunities are going to fall in the right space as you see them and, and for who needs to hear them. But that can be really tough, I think. Um, and I more power to you and you're happy for the incredible things that God has done but in you both. Just knowing that that's another kind of like, I know that a lot of people in our community are in those spaces where they serve alongside a partner or serve alongside um, even sometimes the family members and things like that too. There's an element there that is like, leaning into the obedience of what God has asked and what that means. Like we've even kind of said earlier, holding those things with open hands, knowing God and trusting what it is you're doing, knowing that the outcome might not be exactly as I intended or hoped, but knowing that it's what you'd like to see happen. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, we are almost out of time and it's very unfair to ask this last question and, and have so little time left, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> One of the big challenges that we as women who are in ministry face is that here we are followers of Jesus um, who are also ministering. And those two things sometimes conflict and cross over and become public. And it's very hard to cultivate the the private us and Jesus. Um, can we just close our time and, you know, maybe we just have like two minutes left. Um, like how has your personal walk with Jesus or I should say, how has your ministry been impacted by that? And how, like vice versa, how has, how has ministry impacted your personal life with Jesus for good or for bad? Mm -hmm. One of the phrases that I learned early on in ministry that has always stuck with me and I've always come back to is who you are is more important than what you do. Um, I, a quick story again, two minutes, right? <laughs> I, I was in a lead <laughs> And I, one of the exercises that we, it was a two-year leadership program and you get assigned a mentor during it, right? And one of the exercises that you have to do is you have to write your own eulogy. So I write the wow. eulogy. And again, like I like writing. So I'm writing and I'm writing this beautiful, like, oh, Susie gave her life to Jesus. And, you know, you know, and it's, it's like the life you want to be remembered <laughs> for, right? So yeah. it's like, yeah, you know, like thousands came to Christ because of her obedience and, you know, her love for people, all these things, right? And then at the end of it, I remember writing. Um, and at the end, you know, now we rejoice because Susie has come face to face with her savior and she has heard the words that she's longed to hear well done good and faithful, faithful servant, servant right? Right. even as i'm writing it i'm probably like wiping my tears right <laughs> you're like i'm so faithful <laughs> <laughs> so i submit it to the mentor and then she hands it back and just in the margins all she writes is at that place right there at the end of it she she writes but what if instead you heard the words welcome home daughter and so for me that was again that who you are is more important than what you do. And so wow. I think that's been the thing that's always been cemented in me is if I'm not, if I'm not really like centered in my knowing that I'm beloved, that I'm, it's not what he wants me to do for him. It's, it's more like, just be my daughter. Just, just know that you're loved and, and have that into cultivate that intimacy with me. And that's where the overflow will happen. Who you are is more important than what you do. And, what you do will be reflected by who you are. So that's just been a lifelong lesson that I've been learning over and over again. Well, that is a perfect thing to end on. Um, Susie, thank you so much thank for you. for just sharing your story, um, sharing kind of what your journey has been and what you've learned along the way. And um, those of you listening, I hope that you not only resonated with that, but that um, God used it to give you the words that you need right now in your season and this day that you happen to be pressing play on our podcast. Um, we trust <laughs> that God will do that. 
Aaron, thank you too for being with us. Of course, anytime. So lucky to be here. I really appreciate your time, Susie. Such a pleasure to hear more about your story. And happy almost one year anniversary. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody, until next time, um, thanks for listening. Keep leading boldly. Thanks again, Susie. Thank you. Bye. Well, we hope you loved our opportunity to hear so much from Susie Gomez's story. We encourage you, um, if you're in the Sacramento area, look for a church home to check out Midtown. It's an amazing organization. And for those of you, I was going to say this episode's coming out the week of our Lead Bold Conference in the Bay Area, which is so exciting. Don't be shy. Um, It's Wednesday when you're hearing this, and that means that there's still a couple days. If you'd like to join us for the weekend, we would love to have you if you feel like God is calling you to be connected to this community. Find out more at leadingbold.org. Also, if you might not be in the uh, Bay Area or in the West Coast, we have our Chicago conference. We're so excited about this. It's coming up in October on the 27th, I believe, and you can find out about that and look at tickets and all the information for our conference in Chicago coming up shortly on our website at leadingbold.org. We hope this was a meaningful time for you. And until we uh, connect again, uh, keep leading bold.